Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin Have a Podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about insidious. As always, I'm your host, Corbin Zavokal, and joining me is my co-host, who's tiptoeing right through those two lips. It's Cody Webb. Cody, how is it going, my man? Going great, man. Uh, very excited to be here. I uh, love you bringing up the Tiptoe song already, because uh, I really, really despise that music. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely get into it more, but might have to roll that off the bat for uh, all the Insidious fans out there. But yeah, I'm excited to be here, man. I think it should be a fun one. We're getting spooky again uh, in the uh, middle of the summer, which, you know, sometimes that's the best time to see yeah. a horror movie and obviously uh, jumping right into the why of it all. Why, 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 why so serious? Insidious mm. the Red Door was just released this past week and it's the fifth installment in the Insidious franchise. However, uh, it's most closely related, related to the original two movies. It's kind of like a direct sequel. It's set nine years after the second movie, but the third and fourth movies kind of stray and go to a different timeline. This is like Patrick Wilson returning. Uh, you've got the original kid back and he's headed off to college. So, oh, wow. This, the, the Red Door is very connected to this film. I knew you had never seen any of these. So I wanted to get us a little bit of a throwback to 2010 and uh, yeah. check out the first Insidious film. Yeah, this is all news to me. Uh, <laughs> evidently, there's uh, four sequels. I knew there was a part two, obviously, because this movie kind of ends on uh, a bit of a cliffhanger. So you assume there's a sequel coming. But uh, hey, number five, shout out Patrick Wilson, still uh, rolling. Directed, big... directed this one even. Yeah, I did see that too. So shout out to him. I, I think he's a, a good guy in Hollywood overall. So I respect it. And uh, it is impressive. I mean, uh, coming out in the middle of the summer, uh, the studio must have, you know, a little bit of faith in him too. So I feel like horror movies in the summer, they usually do pretty well. So uh, maybe it'll pop off and, and spin off like five more sequels. That'd be dope. I've got some box office info for you, but you, you'll have to wait and hear about it. <laughs> Talking about, you know, we've done some other horror movies in the past. We've started to dip our toes in every time we, we kind of bring it up. Annihilation was the first one. Classic, you know, not really, but it is listed as a horror <laughs> film, genre-wise. Sure. On, it, it's it's technically horror. Uh, shout out Christian Steiner, the guest. He was just texting me uh, today about how he watched that movie finally and, and really that enjoyed was. it. So uh, that's a cap recommendation right there. Yeah, good for life. Definitely check out that movie. You haven't seen it. It is also uh, very, very scary at times. So I think it's a lot. Scared of what you might become, even. Um, Halloween, of course, we did, you know, right on Halloween. And The Conjuring, which I think is the movie, I mean, most similar to this one. Of course, it's from the same creative team, directed by James Wan, written by Lee Winnell, released just three years later. But I think those movies have a lot of similarities for like other reasons beyond just like the creative team, but even like in the structure and the impact they had, we talked about some of that in the conjuring. And so of course we'll talk about some of that uh, today as well. In this episode, I like bringing back horror to the cap. Uh, I, I think we aren't known as, you know, big horror connoisseurs, but like you said, just got to dip our toes in every now and again. Um, and yeah, I think this movie has a ton of similarities to uh, the conjuring and uh, some similar themes throughout too, which we'll definitely get into, but yeah, I don't really like horror, but um I, I'm liking it more and more, I think, as I go along through this uh, catalog. So I'm here for it. Let's go to Do You Remember, Cody. It's a tough one, as always. Do you remember? Do you remember watching this movie? Yeah, it's a tough introspective looking back. Uh, this is obviously my first watch uh, of Insidious today. 
I'm even watching it on the day that we are recording the podcast. So unbelievably fresh. Got to keep it fresh on cap. This is my first time seeing it. Any important notes about your experience? Anything? I mean, would you HBO Max or Max? I mean, sorry. I did, yeah. Hey, hold the HBO all Max. I did uh, check it out on Max, obviously. And I watch it during the daytime. You know, that's that's how I like to watch my horror movies, as I've stated previously on the podcast. Yeah, it was a good time. I, I can't complain. But I'll throw a review. Do you remember the uh, the first time you checked this out? Well, uh, thankfully for the beauty of Letterboxd, we can date it. It was uh, June 7th of 2021. So just over two years ago, I watched this movie for the first time and the only time that I had seen it prior to this one. Um, but I can share a little a slight memory uh, about the not this film but the second film's release so I don't know mm-hmm. what it is you know this first movie came out in 2010 it's rated r it's a horror movie both you guys both of us didn't really like see rated r movies like that when we were younger so like I really had no cultural awareness of the first insidious movie but when I hit like 2013 I remember that summer that that movie came out insidious chapter two it was like kind of a big thing. It was kind of a big deal. It had been three years. Obviously, this movie ends at a cliffhanger. It was a movie that made a good amount of money at the box office. And like people were talking about the second movie. So like for some reason in my head, I have this like association of people conversing about Insidious Chapter 2 and me playing baseball at this like specific field in, in mm-hmm. Royerton outside of Muncie, just like playing middle school baseball. And this like weird, it's just like the way you associate certain moments in pop culture and Insidious Chapter 2 for whatever reason, is ingrained in my memory and associated with that particular time. I love that. Kind of just like random memories kind of wrapped up with a, a time period in a movie. And I didn't even see the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know exactly where you were when it came out. I love that. I, I have random stuff with that, with like music, with television, with movies like that too. So I can relate to it. That, that is pretty fun. Yeah. Scary kids. What can I say? <laughs> Initial thoughts. <laughs> I did want to talk about the box office impact just a little bit because, okay. you know, we've mentioned in our last couple episodes about like maybe the box office has been a little bit down. We're hoping July is a better month, but horror has been a continued mainstay even through the pandemic. I mean, we saw movies like um, Smile do pretty well. There was the Black Phone that had a little bit of a resurgence, obviously Megan earlier this year. And of course, the two Scream movies that have been released post-pandemic have done extremely well at the box office. This movie that we're talking about today, the original Insidious, was made for only $1.5 million and grossed just over $100 million globally. So then a 100-time return there, which is uh, definitely a great thing to see. I mean, that's showing the power for doing things at a low budget and having an exponential return. This new Insidious Chapter 5, which is coming out to not great reviews, it has like a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes and has only been out for now, you know, like five, six days at this point, made for $16 million, still has already made $70 million at the uh, global box office. So like these movies wow. are seen by people. People care about horror films. These horror uh, films, I think, are a bit of a goldmine when it comes to movie theaters, just because, like you said, I mean, even during the pandemic, they were still performing well, so... This is a genre that is kind of, I think, well-beloved by the public. This film on a $1.5 million budget, even in 2010, is ridiculous. And I think it looks actually pretty good uh, on that budget, too. So shout out to them. I would have definitely guessed probably around like the 10 mil range. But uh, yeah, large profit margin there, I would say, uh, <laughs> even with marketing and stuff. Uh, I did want to ask you, too, though, have you uh, checked out like all the sequels as well? Because obviously, like that profit literally just automatically pretty much you know guaranteed that many sequels i would think 
you know that's the crazy thing it's like i watched this first movie uh, like i said two years ago and then i think i started the second one and i was just like never finished it because like i just didn't care <laughs> as much and then today i i did go and see insidious the red door oh after re-watching the first one last night nice. and and again i have started the second film but but have not finished it at this point now um i know the resolution that they come up with at the end of insidious chapter two and right. it's an awful resolution <laughs> um it, it really honestly causes a lot of the problems that that are issues in 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 the fifth movie and like story corners that they're kind of stuck in because they weren't even probably planning to do a sequel but or a sequel with these same characters right. but to, in the short answer no i have not watched any of the other sequels beyond uh the red door which i did see today in theaters Respect, respect. Well, you jet skied right past all the bad stuff, I would guess, and uh, got to the relevant stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, there's like the Lost Key, I think, is one of the movie subtitles. I mean, we're, we're getting into Indiana Jones territory at that point. Sounds like a national treasure movie, yeah. Might have to check that one out. <laughs> <laughs> Cody, uh, walk me through your initial thoughts, man. Off the bat, like I was saying, I mean, I'm not a massive horror guy. And coming into this, uh, I really didn't know what to expect. Obviously, off the top, I mean, I like the cast. I like Rose Byrne. I like Patrick Wilson. I've seen them in a bunch of other stuff. Rose Byrne's in a ton of, like, uh, comic book stuff, kind of just weird roles in that. She's all so over. I've like- I, I found recently that I she's becoming, like, one of my more underappreciated actresses. I mean, obviously, she's great in, like, the Neighbors film. She does good in comedy yeah. stuff as well. Um, yeah, Rose Byrne's awesome. She can do it all. And she, yeah, she's very versatile. And uh, I do think she's definitely underrated. Needs more kind of leading roles like this. And... Uh, yeah, I like her overall. In the film, I may have a different opinion, but I'll get to that. Also, I mean, I like James Wan. Uh, Aquaman was good. Everything he kind of touches, I think, is above mediocre. So shout out to him for being above mediocre. James Wan, I like him. And of course, too, you got the little kid from Iron Man 3, who I had no idea was in this film. Um, he's also in Endgame for, for no reason at all, too. But I feel like this kid is not getting much work. Hi, Simpkins. Did. Yeah, whatever his name is, I don't even care. Well, I can but, tell you what he is getting. He's getting lead building in Insidious the Red Door. <laughs> exactly. That's all I was going to say. I'm proud of him. Like, he's worked his way up, and, uh, you know, he started from the bottom, obviously, here, and he's worked up to where he's kind of starring in these movies. So, shout out to that kid as well. But overall, with the cast, uh, I was kind of positive on that. And uh, honestly, I, I enjoyed this movie more than I thought I would. Um, I think the first hour is a bit slow, and it kind of just lost me at points in there. I think maybe you could shave off like 10, 15 minutes of that and just make it like an hour 40 instead of like the hour 50 runtime that it comes out to. And maybe it'd be a cleaner film, but it had a uh, the third act, like it had some good jump scares. <laughs> like I was kind of locked in the entire time. It, it wasn't crazy predictable the ending either. So I'm here for it, man. I mean, all, all these horror movies that I kind of enjoy. So I don't know what's going on. It is interesting to hear because I feel like my appreciation of the film is almost flipped. And that yeah. I think like the first hour of the movie is like really interesting and it's really? kind of like a cool examination and a setup. And yeah, maybe it's a little overly long at points, but I think it kind of like goes off the rails in the third act. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot of, uh, not a lot, but I've seen horror movie third acts that do very similar things that are even maybe imitating this in some way. And just like every time it's like, this is never successful. And then and, and seeing it in repeated succession, I'm sure it's just made it feel even worse for me, but I don't know. Continuing on with that talk about how this is similar to The Conjuring, we talked about how that was kind of like the start of the modern horror revolution and changed what people were really interested in, especially in in like the 2000s, the kind of like 
torture porn, very violent, gory stuff that was almost a result of what Juan and one L did in Saw in 2004 was like really popular in the late to mid 2000s. And then really this film kind of comes out and like reinvents the, this and you've got like uh, Paranormal Activity, which this and Paranormal Activity are the first two like major Blumhouse produ produced films. So those two films, these supernatural based films are huge hits. They basically spawn what everybody wants to make horror movies about. And they also bankroll Blumhouse to continue to make all of the you know highest grossing horror movies over the next you know 13 years and you still have Blumhouse with the conjuring universe and you know doing new stuff like Megan you know um, they're basically at the forefront of everything horror now today um, I talked about like that third act the CGI stuff like I saw the boogeyman uh, a month ago it came out that's essentially the ending like you know when uh, the demon is running along the wall this little like crease like it, this scene it, this movie it's not terrible because it's like one shot where he's like crawling on the wall and bad CGI and he's, he's chasing yeah. them. Like that's the ending of boogeyman, but to an extended degree, like there's a creepy monster that's like crawling over the walls and it looks very similar, just like bad CGI and it doesn't work. Things are better when you don't see them. It's very similar in the movie smile as well. It ends in like they're out in the, this cabin and a giant CGI, like monsters chased them around a room. And it's just like the best horror is really effective in not showing things sometimes. And that's where like a lower budget can help you and save you to a certain extent. Um, but I think it's just really interesting to see the way that this movie has influenced, uh, you know, the past 13 years of, of horror films. Definitely a Kickstarter, I think, like you're saying. And uh, I do agree. I mean, like keeping like it is hard with kind of like demons and whatever this shit is like devils. Who knows? It's it's all the same crap, I guess. But like keeping them in the dark, like you say, I think they do that pretty effectively throughout. Obviously, the third act, there is a little bit more light uh, shown on. No pun intended a little bit. But um. I don't know. Like the ending CGI, like you said, it doesn't look great. And on a $1.5 million budget, that makes even more sense. But I still think like it's it's tough to knock a, a movie like this where it is kind of one of the predecessors, the predecessors, excuse me, setting kind of the tone of, of what's to come because there are going to be a ton of knockoffs. I feel like in horror, there's not a ton really you can do if you're going to be in this general genre of, oh, there's demons. Oh, there's monsters. Oh, you know, there's people with red faces. It's all the same crap, I feel like. So you're going to... Yeah, and I mean, even this movie, while it is a predecessor to all these modern horror not films, original, it's, sure. it's yeah. literally like the same plot, as, plot of the movie Poltergeist. Like, beat yeah. for beat, like the parents are the exact same. Patrick Wilson's essentially playing that same character, the, like the being terrorized by a monster, like that you can move, it doesn't matter. Like, it's, it's essentially the same film. This is playing a lot more with like the campy and the fun 80s, 90s goofy horror stuff that you see in like Sam Raimi Evil Dead trilogy uh, or Evil Evil Dead films that's different than like the creepy torture porn of the 2000s. Very fair. Some other just random stuff I wanted to bring up too. Uh, completely different tangents here. <laughs> are we not Are we not going to act like this guy looks exactly like Darth Maul? I mean, <laughs> it's like it's not the same makeup artist and the same actor like i feel like it's the it, the exact same thing i'm seeing here i don't know kind of weird i i do have to agree with you i think there's some definitely uh heavily star wars inf influence on this film yeah shout out to it and then another random thing that i think is funny too corbin do you ever play the, the game like super mario brothers when you're growing up you ever play that no but i mean i'm, I'm familiar with <laughs> <All right. laughs> this reference isn't gonna be that good then so you know when like you're in like the ghosts uh you know levels and when you look at the ghosts they don't move and when you turn right. away they like run at you 
I feel like that's kind of this movie. It's like the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. Better reference, I guess. Nobody watches Doctor Who. But um, I feel like they kind of just take little bits and pieces from a lot of different, you know, pop culture, like you're saying, too, and a lot of horror in the past as well, I'm sure, and kind of throw everything together. I think it's fairly effective. But yeah, shout out Super Mario Brothers. Great, great game on the Game Boy. So I had to bring that up. This is something I was going to talk about really good, but like the fact that it is kind of just like a mishmash of a lot of bullshit kind of thrown at you. It's like, it's demons and ghosts and, you know, dead people that have been suffering. And like, I don't know, you know, like we'll bring in this pop culture, like kind of like we're going to pull from Poltergeist and yeah, sure. We'll get some Super Mario bullshit for you, Cody. But like, it's so nonspecific. That's what it makes it more interesting. Like even in The Conjuring, we get more specific and it being like, very heavily like religious influenced and like specifically in that direction. But this doesn't even feel like that. It just feels like, you know, there's bad shit happening to these people. And, that, and that's unfortunate. It's scary. It's more sci-fi a little bit too, because they go the whole like astral projection route when they brought it, because they brought in a priest originally. I was like, oh, okay, I, I know exactly where this is going. And then they end up kind of going a completely just like supernatural direction, which I think it's definitely more interesting and, and definitely more original, at least, than going like the religious, you know, way. Like, but they did that in The Conjuring, I guess, which came out after this. So who knows? It, it's all the same, but a little bit different. Let's go on to trailer talk, Cody. Are you ready? Yeah. Sweetie? Morning, guys. He's not in a coma. They don't know what to call it. that i wanted to bring up about this trailer and it's kind of a general thing about the marketing of this film as whole if you look at the poster it says insidious right and the s and the i and insidious are like red and the reason for that is to like indicate that the tagline of this film is insidious is insidious and in the trailer it's kind of just repeated insidious is insidious is so it's like this constant thing but like I think that's such a stupid fucking tagline and it looks so dumb on the poster because like you don't get that you don't get that it's supposed to be like insidious is insidious it's also not even is it's si it's turned like it's what are your thoughts on that Cody? I completely agree Uh, that was the first thing in my notes just from this trailer in general too but they do it in kind of like the opening uh kind of credits too where it's like the red letters floating away which doesn't really have anything to do with the movie I guess it's like kind of astral projection but then, yeah, with with the trailer, it's just like Insidious is it's like every, you know, like jump cut. And there's like 50 jump cuts in between Insidious is Insidious is Insidious is. I'm like, what is Insidious? I don't understand. And then it gets to the end and it is Insidious is Insidious. 
Or it didn't even say that. It said like Insidious is coming to theaters. I was like, is that the tagline for the movie? But um, yeah, I don't really understand it. But with the trailer in general, I mean, off the bat too, um, I think you know the makers of Paranormal Activity and Saw. Um, I feel like they're kind of just you know name dropping at literally the first five seconds of the trailer. So I don't know if that's super effective. Obviously, it's just like Blumhouse, I think, trying to make a name for themselves a little bit. And obviously, James Wan, he did Saw as well, correct? Or was that somebody else? Yeah, he's the director, and Lee okay. Wanell obviously stars in Saw and, and wrote it. Right, right, right. I, I was like, James Wan didn't star in Saw, what are you talking about? The other guy, yeah. Um, <laughs> the guy who plays Specs in this movie. Hey, shout out Specs. Uh, I'll definitely be talking about him later as well, but... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just kind of just cheap, you know, name dropping other better movies than you possibly. Um, but they do that all the time, so fair. But I don't hate this trailer. It's kind of just like the classic horror thing, I feel like, of, you know, quick cuts. They do give away some good moments, I think, especially, you know, the, the big jump scare, of course, is like the red face behind, you know, Patrick Wilson. I think you probably keep that in the vault nowadays. But hey, you know, throw out all your cards, I guess, uh, if you're this, especially with this budget, like, they probably didn't expect anybody to go see this film. So I, I understand where they're coming from, but okay, trailer. I just wish, you know, they kept their cards a little bit closer to the chest. Yeah, I think the big reveal that I hate that's in the trailer is that they say the it's not the house, it's your son that's haunted yeah. thing. And I think that's kind of like a twist in the movie. And I'm sure it's kind of a little bit of a surprise for you oh, yeah. um, watching it. So like, I hate that that's like a trailer giveaway. Like I understand like maybe if you read a plot summary, it might even be given away there, but I think stuff like that is better kept a secret. Yeah. And uh, they, they have like the old lady monologuing a bunch of her stuff. She's talking about astral projection in the trailer too, which I mean, like you said, it's just not necessary. I feel like it does add more surprises. This folks right here is a prime example of why you don't watch trailers. Um, it just ruins everything. So studios do better and uh, people do better and, and just don't click on it. So yeah, that's my take. Well said. No more trailers. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Cody, let's start with the good. As always, I actually really like that idea of it not being the house that's haunted, that it's like this child that's being haunted in a certain way and the, all these demons are chasing after him because of this cool like supernatural power that he has that's been passed down in the family and that's something that they do explore further in these movies kind of like how maybe even Patrick Wilson's dad had these same things and that like is what led to his death and like stuff like that so I think that's a really cool concept and an idea um, are you a fan of that as opposed to the, the classic haunted house? I think it is an interesting turn and um, I, like I didn't see that coming at all. So I think it is at least, you know, keeping you engaged in the story nonetheless. But it is cool. Like I said, it's more of a supernatural angle more than anything else. So it kind of delves a little bit away from the horror. But then obviously once you get into kind of the whole astral projectional field, um, it gets much more horror. But uh, it being like hereditary too, um, I guess that makes sense. I don't know. Do all of their kids have this trait then? I think that's my burning question. Was the baby going, you know, in and out of the, the projectile field the entire time? Is that why she's screaming the entire movie? Who knows? But I do like it more than even the religious standpoint we were talking about earlier too. So shout out to the writers. What do you got for good, Cody? Well, I'm off the bat too. I, I've been saying, you know, jump scares here, jump scares there. I did enjoy the jump scares in this movie. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the red face, which... I have seen that before, even though I haven't seen this movie. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, I mean, some people call that the greatest jump scare 
of the mm. 21st century. Obviously, you're not as well versed in, in horror, but I mean, do you think that do you think there's not any better ones out there? If we were still giving out Oscars, uh, like in the olden days of Cap, I would definitely not give it that Oscar. Um, yeah, it's good, but I don't know if it's like, oh, the best of all time. Obviously, I'm no horror kind of seer here either, but you know, it, it was fine. I, I definitely like jumped a little bit. Um, there's also another moment near the end where like a hand comes out of the drawer, which um, it's not even really explained like who or what that is. But uh, I definitely jumped at that moment as well. So shout out to him. I mean, it's all about lighting and timing, I feel like, in that. And especially in the red face one where it's just kind of in broad daylight and everybody's just sitting around a table talking. Like, you really don't expect that. So I think it is effective. That's the thing. This movie does a, a very effective job of giving you the scares when you don't expect them and leaving you hanging when you don't. And it's it's, it's really interesting because, like, even as someone who like understands how movies like these movies work and like I get I've seen it a million times like I get understand how a jump scare works like a moment like that is so effective because it's they're just sitting around a table in broad daylight like you said and it's they're yeah they're having a creepy conversation but you never expect just bam this bright flash of red face color to come up behind him um there's also just a lot of like off kilter and like unexpected directions that the horror goes there's different ghoulish faces that kind of appear like you said the hand is a different thing I think the gas mask scene and all the like light bulbs flashing around and that shit like I think that visually is so cool and um there's just a lot of really interesting imagery that is created that is both creepy and scary to certain degrees um and i can really appreciate the the way it keeps you uh surprised throughout i'm sure you didn't expect expect a lot of the shit that happened to happen <laughs> yeah true a couple things to touch on there as well um the gas mask scene that's that might be my favorite scene in the entire film if i'm being completely honest um and partly it's just because it's this old lady wearing a gas mask uh i think it like visually it looks dope i don't know if it actually kind of is doing anything or makes sense but i love that scene i think she's that like was... whispering it through yeah. the hose into Specs. specs's ears and he's repeating it and writing it down but then she's also like communicating the ghosts through her and having it's it's quite powerful really. so is she in the astral projectional field in this moment or uh, i think there is some indication that she has the ability to uh kind see of enter enter into the further maybe yeah see through the further I'm, I'm not sure fair enough i don't know what the gas mask maybe it gives you like supernatural abilities or something uh i need more information on that um but another thing too like you're saying the unpredictableness of it let's just skip to the end because i did not expect um like patrick wilson to kind of you know once he comes out of the the old astral plane here to come back with, you know, whatever that witch lady is, you know, inside of him, basically controlling him. I was kind of shocked. I thought, I thought it was gonna be like, oh, you know, happy go lucky, happy ending. Uh, it's been a pretty intense third act here. And we got to get all the kids together, have a happy family. But uh, no, Patrick Wilson just starts choking out the old lady. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? So uh, props to them there. I, I was surprised, which uh, I was shocked that I was surprised. So shout out to them. It's pretty insidious of them, Cody. <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> yeah, that, that was pretty much all the good I had, though. But the gas mask, I think, is, is the best part of this film by far. I think this movie looks really interesting because the vast majority of it is, like, pastel, muted, awful color. And the moments when splashes of color come in, it really heightens the emotion or heightens the effect of whatever they're trying to portray. So whether it's, like, 
the one jump scare where you like open the door to the baby's room and there's like a flood of red light and a creepy person in the window or the red bright face of Darth Maul himself like just those moments stand out so much more because like everything else is just like so muted and colorless and and I think that's also very reflective of like this family that's basically had all their like life and love drained out of them because like their kid is just stuck in this coma and they're they're they feel lost and, and terrorized yeah the lighting I think is really well done too that is a good thing to touch on because most of this movie is like fairly dark obviously just like the lights going out is is definitely an indication of you know there's something supernatural there and then when they do reveal themselves kind of in in this plane it is uh you know a lot more colorful so i do like you know how they did that as well yeah another thing that i um i don't think i have anywhere down in here anyways but uh like the three months time jump was definitely tough i thought like this kid just falls off a ladder and, you know, goes into a coma. I'm like, all right, like, you know, something demon-wise is going on here. And it's like, boom, three months later, <laughs> he's still in a coma. So this kid was toughing it out, man. He was in that, uh, you know, whatever it was called. What is it called? Uh, further. The Further. There it is. I have it somewhere in my notes. But he was in the Further for a long time, man. So impressed that he survived that long. And I'm surprised he's not, you know, more hungry than even he, he was when he came out. So... Shout out the kid from Iron Man 3, man. He's got some guts. Last thing I'll say for good is I, I do enjoy the performance in this. We've already talked about Rose Byrne, but like Patrick Wilson, he plays like this role especially well. It's where it's like his kid just like trying really hard to be a good husband. Maybe he's kind of failing at it, but he has his moments of like extreme brilliance where he shines through. And um, I, I don't know. I think he's a really interesting actor. Um, I It's always a joy to see him and stuff. And uh, it's it's cool that he can play in like the horror lanes, but then also more serious lanes and then also be in, you know, dumb comic book shit, whether it be Watchmen or Aquaman or, you know, whatever yeah he's very versatile as well i agree uh night owl and watchman iconic character i mean doesn't get much better than that so yeah i'm with you what's that what's the ship called i actually have no idea <laughs> come on I thought you were a big fan I should uh, probably shout out to lynn shay as well playing uh elise rayner the uh my background incredible performance just we love a medium that is is eating like that she's chewing she's great scene. she's probably my favorite performance i'm not gonna lie so yeah i agree all right, let's move over to the bad. I got to bring up, I mean, I get why they do it, but the three months later, if you're, I hate that shit. Like okay. doing that a quarter into the movie and just being like, oh, three months later. Like, whoa. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, do we need to sit through three months of a coma? No, but I just always hate that in a movie. Yeah, it is very early on too, but you're right. I mean, it, it's just extremely lazy writing. And like, even just because it's like flashes and it's like three months later, like yeah. <laughs> the way it's presented is probably even the thing i don't like it's definitely overused um, an overused movie trope i think the only time it ever works is maybe avengers endgame um that's a very specific circumstance but i am with you there um another thing i wanted to mention just off the bat that we were talking about too uh performance wise i really don't think rose Byrne or patrick wilson are, are very good in this movie unfortunately <laughs> i feel like the main thing is like I don't, I don't see any chemistry between them i think individually possibly they do have decent performances and you're snickering. Are, are they married in real life or something? No, I, I think that I think they have fine chemistry. Really? I don't know. I mean, I think I to us, they're they're supposed to be showing that like like their marriage is kind of falling apart to a certain degree. Like there's the, yeah. he's like a shitty husband who's a teacher and a writer and he's not there and like it's not supposed to be like the most perfect marriage. Ever. Yeah, I mean they're going through some shit. Obviously, <laughs> like, they're gonna have issues. 
I don't know. Their individual performances were a little bit better, I thought. I feel like Rose Byrne um, is pretty much just like crying and freaking out the entire movie, which is understandable, you know, concerning what she's going through. But like she had to be going through the, the uh, eye drops in this movie. I, I think that, you know, take to take had to be kind of just uh, a little bit ridiculous. But Patrick Wilson, I think he's just like completely muted the entire time. He doesn't really show any emotion, even though, you know, his son is a demon kid. Uh, you think he'd be more invested, but I don't know. I just didn't buy it from both of them. So that, that was my big grave. I've already mentioned it, but I think we see too much of the demon in the end. Even the stuff like in the further where it's like he's doing this weird sewing shit and it's like kind of a Freddy Krueger mix thing. And then they do the zoom in on the hooves as it's running. And it's just like it does such a great job of whether it's through the drawings or the quick flashes of its face or the blurriness of the picture. Like it just leaves just enough up to the imagination to like make it truly horrifying. And then when you see this like dude in a suit kind of just like throwing Patrick Wilson across the room, it just becomes a little bit less effective. Uh, shout out though to uh, Joseph Bashara, who is also the composer of this film. And uh, he played the demon in live action. Really? That's actually really cool. Shoestring budget, you even get the the composers <laughs> as an extra. So that's pretty dope. And that kind of leads into my other gripe with the film, too. Why don't they ever just punch these guys in the face? Like I, I don't understand. <laughs> Especially Patrick Wilson at the end. I mean, like like the old lady was saying, like, you know, these demons, like this kid survived this long as well, which is a good indicator that they're not that strong. Because they have to work an unbelievably amount to kind of get in inside his body, it seems like. So if I was Patrick Wilson, I would just be throwing haymakers everywhere. Um, he, he walks up on those people on the couch and they're just staring at him. And then that one lady blinks right in front of him. Oh, that's a, that's a straight jab. <laughs> just take them out. Like, I don't understand why he wasn't a little bit more, you know, abrasive and, and upfront with everybody there, especially considering the circumstances. But uh, yeah, Patrick Wilson, you just got to, he needed more of a game plan, I think, from the old lady, like go in guns blazing, but didn't get that advice either so i guess it's understandable but i would have gone about it a different way i think throw some hands with the demon cody i appreciate that uh insight do you what do you think about that ending though i know you've you've brought it up already but like the cliffhanger nature of it obviously we've, we've discussed it many times on the podcast in, in the last couple of weeks uh with spider-verse coming out and everything but like this i mean you had to wait three years to see what was going to happen next in the insidious trilogy uh do you think that's an effective ending are you do you need to go watch Insidious 2 to find out what happens? I mean, yeah, um, I don't think I'll be checking out Insidious 2 anytime soon, if I'm being honest. But um, like I enjoyed this movie enough. I think for horror, it's okay to kind of leave it up a little bit more to interpretation just because it does kind of give you like that feeling that a horror movie is trying to produce, which is like, what the hell? Like you're, you're scared, basically. You're in fear still. So I think ending it on, on kind of an unexplained note and and definitely a dour note, I would say, of, like, they definitely lost the movie, I think. We're still doing Cody versus as well. I mean, I would 100% lose his film because, uh, like, he just kills the old lady, I think, right? Does she come back for the sequels, Corbin? I don't know. Who okay, cares? You'll have to watch them. <laughs> I'll never know. But um, I think it's okay to, to leave it more of on a cliffhanger than compared to, like, you know, a Spider-Verse movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I think ending a horror movie is the hardest genre of movie to end effectively yeah and i think at least the very least this is you know making a direct choice and doing something interesting would you have rather it been like like i was saying before like the happy-go-lucky you know family hug at the end or do you like this more i was gonna talk about this a little bit in post-credit scene but i have a regular post-credit scene but i think 
I don't know. This is a dumb thing because, like, I don't even know. Like, have post credit scenes like ruin movie watching? Sure, but like, would the setup now be like you see them end up all happy, and then at the end of the movie, it's like, oh yeah, Patrick Wilson is secretly, you know, yeah. being still still got the shit haunting him or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, I almost would prefer that as like an ending to the movie, like let the ending of the movie be the ending of the movie. And then if you're going to tease the next thing, that's what this like post credit scene is for. Like I prefer a movie that just has its story contained and I don't need the tease within the actual film. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's a good take. I think um, if it's going to be like a direct tease that leaves like I, I'm fine with a tease to a sequel in the film, of course, but I mean like a tease like right. that where it's like literally he just murdered someone and I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> right, right. I think uh, and just like pitching off the bat here, too. So say we do have the happy go lucky ending. What if the post credit scene was like they take like a family picture and they look at the picture and it's like. <laughs> Patrick Wilson's gone and it's the the crazy witch lady that's yeah dope. exactly I think that's really cool like you could even do it where the, like the final moments of the movie are like them taking the picture and then like the credits roll and you see like the photo developed or something like later like and that's the reveal <laughs> there you go there's another post-credit scene pitch for you guys if uh, if you didn't have enough already you want to go back 13 years I will say that there was like technically a post-credit scene in this new movie and I and I stayed for it and it was one of those like flash of one image things or it's like this is not a really a post-credit scene but okay sure yeah. <laughs> it's stupid it's kind of like the end of the trailer uh for this one too where it just has like a, a random demon scream at the end <laughs> it's not necessary but all right i guess it's there <laughs> it's whatever I, I sat through those four minutes of credits it, it was well worth it let's hit the ugly uh this one you know it's, it's a tough one i i want to give a shout out to the other two children of this house because they they really get underrepresented and, and forgotten about you know the little the baby is obviously you know well cared for it's it's a baby you gotta you know have your monitor and such and really care but that other middle kid where is he at poor kid probably heavily traumatized um and, and not featured whatsoever <laughs> yeah i think uh the throwaway line was like oh, you sent your kids to your mom and then their mom just shows up. So I don't think anybody, you know, specifically is taking care of the kids possibly. Maybe there's a, there's a it's like when uh, Brian is watching the kids in, in Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Paul Walker watching these kids probably. Uh, that might be kind of mean, uh, but we're in the ugly category, so I don't care. <laughs> um, but I'm with you. Ugly I'm about those movies too, what, what they did. <laughs> that is true. The, uh, past Fast, uh, I mean, Fast Furious 7, 7 or whatever. I don't think they've they've handled the Paul Walker's death, uh, you know, terrifically. So whatever, but um, there's not a ton I don't think here to talk about in the ugly. Kind of just a straightforward horror film. There's some gore and stuff, but I don't even know if that counts. Uh, a couple things that I did have down. You already kind of brought it up too, but childhood trauma that's kind of just ignored. Um, I mean, this Patrick kid, Wilson. I mean, even hypnosis out, not even ignored. I mean, that's just bad parenting one on one. I would say too, but. This is going to fester in just all these kids to an unbelievable point, I would think. So that's unfortunate. In my can I tell you? Can I tell you the resolution to Insidious Two, Cody? <laughs> yeah, go for it. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, spoiler alert! Obviously, this is the Insidious One podcast, so you've probably seen the second one uh, at this point. But spoiler for Insidious Chapter Two: the resolution after all this crazy shit happens and Patrick Wilson tries to like kill the kids, they're just like, you know what? We got to do the hypnosis thing again and just make them forget everything. <laughs> so they just forget the year of their lives that all this crazy shit happened. And then they go on with, with whatever else. <laughs> well, fair enough. I mean, I guess it worked in the past for Patrick Wilson. So 
did they do it as well in the new movie or has that been well uh... see in the new movie they're kind of dealing with that ramification of the fact that like patrick wilson doesn't remember this whole year of his life and he has like is struggling very heavily like mentally like he can't even remember day-to-day stuff and he's, he's divorced yeah. from rose Byrne. the oh, kids yeah. hate him because he's been such a terrible dad because of this shit and like nope <laughs> and then the kid is like angsty and an artist and going off to college and he resents his dad and also he like is like i don't remember my 12th year like there's a whole year of my life i don't remember where i was in a coma and nobody talked about it and uh yeah it's just strange um the the general setup of the movie where like it's like him going off to college and like these the stuff like come, I, I like those ideas and like kind of the father-son dynamic that they begin to explore but just like because of the memory stuff and just like the way they end up resolving it it doesn't work very effectively yeah uh i'm gonna have to check it out honestly because it sounds somewhat interesting <laughs> especially like it's kind of like a legacy sequel in a sense too which of course we've touched on a ton but Hey, back-to-back legacy sequels, uh, Indy 5 and, um, you know, Insidious you know, 5. So a good year for 5, maybe in 2023. I don't know. That's weird. A lot going on, man. A lot going on. Um, them hooves are pretty ugly as well. And uh, I just wanted to shout them out. Yeah, one last shout for me too. I already said it, but God, I hate that tiptoe song, man. <laughs> <laughs> this, I think this was the movie that kind of popularized it too, right? It had yeah, I mean, obviously it's like a 1968 song, Tiny Tim, but it became modern huge. modern culture here of yeah. course and you know resurged on on tiktok in the last couple of years you know <laughs> etc cetera, etc cetera. i think back whenever it was originally released it was probably like a, a fun song right oh just some guy you know running through, i don't know it's got it's got like dark themes i feel like throughout it but Know, this movie just makes it really really creepy which uh, is just unfortunate so yeah i hate that song why do you think the demon liked it so much well he didn't have any toes so he just wanted he just wanted to relate to that maybe and maybe he likes tulips too i don't know he, he seems like a, a kind of a, you know botanist guy i don't know i will say that that song is like kind of the stuff in the movie that i like where it's like it's kind of goofy and kind of campy and like we're gonna have the scene where like Rose Byrne is like looking at the record player and you know walking around and like James Wan's trying some stuff out and maybe not all of it is super effective but it's it's cool to see him kind of like play with it a little bit and, and figure yeah. things out that's creative I mean he, he blew up that song pretty much you know single-handedly so <laughs> gotta get props to him let's take a quick break and we'll be right back well, the window. <laughs> we're back with whose line is it anyways welcome to who my first line tiptoe through the window who said that <laughs> um I've, I've got a couple for you here so i will start us off but there are other entities who are malevolent and have a more insidious agenda and then there is this a demon who seeks dalton's body for one reason to cause pain to others who said that gotta be the expedition exposition dump of this entire movie uh old lady gas mask yes it is at least shout out to her i will say at the very least, if she's going to be doing an exposition dump, she's going to throw in the title of the film as well. Yeah, roll credits on, on that too. That's not the worst roll credits I've ever heard either. So at least it's in kind of an interesting monologue. Uh, shout out Gas Mask Lady. Uh, I have a couple too, so I'll throw my first one at you. Leave this vessel! Leave this vessel! <laughs> Leave this vessel. 
well, did the priests try and impulse some stuff early on? Man, I don't know. This movie sometimes. I'm gonna say it was Lee Wan L. That's uh Who's Lee Wan L? Oh, Specs. No, it was the old uh, old lady gas mask. Come on, Elise. Of course, <laughs> I should have known. It's when um uh, the kid went superpower mode and and smacked uh, Specs off the which off just the did not look good. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> good wire work, but. They didn't have many actions. Also, when uh, Patrick Wilson, like, two-hand shoves the demon, that looks pretty bad, too, I thought. So, wire work altogether, those probably, got, uh, probably didn't do too much work after this film, unfortunately. This one is two different people you have to identify, one or both of them. I don't really care. First okay. line, a picture's worth a thousand words. Second line, words are worth a thousand words, too. Mm, this was a great debate between my boy Specs and the other light guy. Uh, kind of an interesting conversation at the end of all things. So, I don't know. <laughs> Tucker, shout out to that other Tucker. guy. Tucker, my bad, Tucker. My bad. Uh, I'll remember your name for next time. I'll throw my last one at you here too. I honestly don't think you're gonna get this one, but the the line delivery in the film was perfect, so I'm gonna try and recreate that. I moved houses for you. I'm on your side. <laughs> well, that's definitely Rose Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, it's it's Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Yeah, I'm on your side. I don't know. Uh. Go, but uh, re- uh rewind that clip that's our clip of the week i don't know but maybe it's just a thing when i was watching it but i just like burst out laughing because it's <laughs> terrible line so yeah love that he was really uh letting it draw out over two on uh on coach this week gorman really slacking <laughs> we might have to drop this thing i'm bad at it man i'm failing <laughs> invite fight night i dumped thee so william Let's get Elise on the pod. I want to invite her. She's obviously, uh, she might get us into some trouble to a certain degree, but she also might save us from a lot that we're not aware that's happening. So um, she has a lot to say, and this is a great platform to put her on. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I feel like that's the obvious pick, but it's really the only right pick, I think, for this film. Uh, I'm going to tell her to bring along the gas mask as well. Obviously, uh, just, yes. just for kicks. <laughs> I love that thing but I mean like I said she is the exposition dumper here and I'm sure she just has some just crazy wild stories that uh, would be great on a podcast form so yeah I think it's a no-brainer in, in this invite all right fight who do you want to fight Cody this was a tough one uh, I kind of went through all the characters I was I was considering taking a couple shots at the kids but I uh, thought better <laughs> I ended up going after Patrick Wilson for kind of some of the stuff we're saying before but pretty much specifically just for kind of thinking that this moment is about him. Um, so obviously he goes, you know, into the unknown, whatever the hell it's called. I don't even know. Further. Uh, the furthest. I mean, it's all the same. <laughs> but he goes in, he saves his kid. You'd think, okay, he's not a bad dad at this point. But then once they get back into that, you know, the original house, you know, he, he entered the, the, the whatever. And he decides it's all about him and his kid's like, we need to get going. Like these guys are right behind us. He's like, Oh, you go, you go, you know, you've been in a coma for three months, but I'm not too worried about escaping this astral plane. I'm going to go fight my own demons, which I didn't even know about until a half hour ago and make this all about myself. So, uh, yeah, I think where'd that get him? He just got a witch inside of him. So I don't know. I don't think anywhere good. So I think he deserves a deck in the face. Um, there's probably a few other reasons we could do it as well, but that was my main reasoning there. My pick has got to be the two Stooges, man. Fucking Specs and Tucker. Really? I'm going to be honest. I think I like especially Tucker. That dude's really annoying. I, I'm not a fan of him. 
Uh, I think they're kind of an interesting characters to bring in and it's kind of like a goofy, you know, ghost hunter fun thing, but like they're just overused and when they're when he's talking about his fucking camera with the infrared shit and like I'm just over it. it it's much better done in the conjuring like the, I think that's like a more interesting take on that than like these dweebs. So, I'm going to fight them. That's fair. I think that was definitely the the biggest similarity to the conjuring was them kind of explaining, you know, uh, why they have cameras and all that crap. But um I actually like them. It, it's like a tiny bit of comic relief uh, within all of just like the horror spectrum. So, yeah, I, I was a fan of both those guys. Night. I'm going to night the song tiptoe through the tulips. Uh, it deserves some respect, some protection but... from all your slander. Even though it's like kind of weird and annoying in hindsight, it is like incredibly specific to this movie and uh, incredibly effective of what it's trying to accomplish and i think it's just like i I think it works well i think it's iconic and i do think it's effective but uh, i don't support that night that's that's travesty (laughs) my night uh i'm gonna give it to specs we're really on the opposite (laughs) opposite uh, opinions i think on these guys but specs is dope dude he took a massive shot from a demon kid and just got up and was like in the rest of the movie, he did obviously have a couple meat slabs, you know, try try to rest up super quickly. Another poltergeist I, reference there for the people. Yeah, I, I don't know how effective that was, but he just got up and kept grinding, man. So shout out Specs. He's also got those cool kind of like flashlights on his specific glasses too. So he's really given the ghost hunter vibes. It's like uh, this guy's been doing it for a long time and you don't really want to mess with him. So yeah, more respect for my man Specs, I think is, is necessary. Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, the other, I did have a secondary night of an actual person, and that's uh, Foster Lambert, the, the the unwanted kid, the one that Uh-oh. is not being haunted. So I, I got to give the love to the child that is not loved by his parents. That's fair. Also, he like tells Roseburn directly that uh, the kid's been walking around, and it seems like she doesn't even believe him. It, it's not <laughs> it's not talked about again for the rest of the movie. So yeah, he, he deserves better. Yeah, absolutely. The recast. Bond. James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Cody, who do you want to recast in this movie? I mean, there's not a ton of characters here. Um, I just wanted to eliminate who I was saying. Obviously, I, I didn't love their performances. So I'm, I'm thinking of a new main duo here. Uh, kind of going... A little bit crazy directions here, a little bit too, but for Rose Byrne, uh, off the bat, I was thinking uh, Jennifer Connelly. We talked about her in the last episode, weirdly enough, but uh, I think she'd be an okay in a role like this. Uh, along with her too, I think Jennifer Garner uh, would be an interesting one. She doesn't do a lot of horror, I don't think, and I think this would be a decent role for her too, just because, like I said, it is mostly just like crying and, and kind of reaction stuff to, you know, some of the demons. So I think that really be excited for Deadpool 3. Cody. Oh, actually, uh, the new set photos with uh, Hugh Jackman and uh, Ryan Reynolds, and there's a 20th Century Fox logo like <laughs> sitting in the desert. Uh, I'm kind of here for it. I- I'm Jack for Deadpool three. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, bringing back, I think they're literally just be going through and-, and killing off all these you know old Marvel characters, Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck included, which they definitely deserve. Hopefully, Halle Berry shows up just randomly as well. I think that'd be funny as a Catwoman. Oh, yeah, and then my other uh, thought on... Uh, Rose That's Burns, DC. Like, I know, I know. I want the crossover. It's Deadpool. You can do anything. Um, and also, she's in the X-Men movies, so you, you could Should write Storm, yeah. Yeah, but also Catwoman. Um, and then my <laughs> my last thought for Roseburn replacement 
was uh, Jennifer Aniston. Uh, I think she'd be fun too. Basically, anybody with the name Jennifer, I, I'm highly considering. But yeah, a- any of those three, I think would be good. I did notice a trend there a little bit <laughs> in your in your choices. Um, there was a lot of IMDb trivia, like people who are considered for the role or people who you know auditioned for it. So I'll throw some of those at you just real quickly and get your take. Yeah. So, and who's to say how true any of this is? I'm any person could just write this. So, Brendan Fraser to play uh, Josh Lambert, the role, uh, Patrick Wilson's role. What do you think? I like that. Uh, Brendan Fraser, obviously uh, a bit underutilized in Hollywood over the years. So, yeah, I think this would have been a good role for him. And, uh, you know, Patrick Wilson wasn't the best. So might as well try something new. Nicole Kidman as his mother, as as uh, Josh's mom. Well, that would probably at least double the budget. So <laughs> makes sense. They probably went away from that. But yeah, I like Nicole Kidman. She's Maya like, Rudolph apparently allegedly auditioned for that role as well. Ooh, I would have loved to see that. Honestly, any sort Alec of like Baldwin for the role of Josh. I'll probably pass on that one. <laughs> Emma Thompson as well for the uh, the mother role. Really? Actually, Judge was thrown out there. Some Renee Zellweger, um, Bruce McGill for the uh, Josh Lambert role. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I'll just throw out my Patrick Wilson replacement too. All around the subject. I either want Christian Bale or uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in this role. I want to up the kind of intensity. I think that's what was kind of missing a little bit from that character. Like I said, it seems like he was kind of mentally and emotionally checked out most of the film. So I want somebody who's going to dig into these demons and, and really give me some passion. And both those guys are obviously unbelievably good actors. So I think they'd be able to convey that pretty easily. I like that idea of adding some intensity for sure. Um, my pick for real, I did want to replace Tucker, the uh, okay. the guy who plays him. I don't even know who plays him, but my pick is Ethan Supley. So, uh, you know, my name is Earl, American History X. Uh, yeah. You know, another big bearded guy, but just a little bit of, uh, I can think he'll, the comedy would work more effectively coming from him than whatever that guy was doing because it, it just wasn't working for me. <laughs> Fair enough. I like Tucker, but yeah, I do like that replacement as well. So, oh, And then like my him. other pick, which is a th- real throwback here. Cody, you should be playing the demon. Put you in this thing. Which one, Darth Maul? Yeah, you should be Darth Maul, man. That, that I mean, the Darth Maul was Maul built maker. for you. Give me some hooves. Yeah, I'm down. The fingernails, that would kind of be tough. That'd probably be a lot of uh, practical work, but the face painting would be dope. Yeah, I, I think you were born for it. Uh, rating. Do you like me? Curious to see what you give this one. 69. Yeah, I'm interested, I'm interested uh, to hear what you have on this one as well. I can kick us off. And I went back and looked at my paranormal activity rating too. And I was surprised. I, I put that one, I believe, at like a 58. Uh, my rating system is, is pretty skewed, to be fair. But uh, I do like that movie. You called it paranormal activity. The movie is oh, The Conjuring. Um, the Conjuring. Oh, I'm sorry. They, they're all the same uh, studio. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. Uh, but I definitely like The Conjuring more than this film, I would say. I think that's that's for certain. I'm going to go 47 out of 69. I think it's respectable. Like I said, I was entertained, which I didn't expect. Yeah, this movie's better than I thought it would be. Check it out in City. It's honestly, if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it. We're probably like the last few people listening to this uh, that haven't seen this movie, to be fair. Probably. But uh, <laughs> I, I respect the 47. I'm going to go 42. I think The Conjuring, I agree, is a much better film. He takes a lot of the things that he kind of like tests out in this movie and the stuff that really works, he adds to The Conjuring and he continues on and then he, you know, kind of flushes out some other ideas. He expands upon the family stuff and and flushes that out a lot more in an interesting way. 
Um, you have cool ghost hunters. You have a really diverse cast of characters and it's even creepier in its horror. So I think this is a great starting point. I think it's a really interesting movie in terms of uh, the effect it had on movies and horror films over the, you know, the following decade after its release. I just think it kind of fails in some of the swings it takes and even in the you know, big final third act. I think the family dynamic and uh, like the ghost hunters people are both superior uh, in The Conjuring, but they both do build off, I think, pretty well of this movie. So yeah, well said. 42 for me, 47 for you. Not bad ratings. Let's move yeah. on to our post-credit scene. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? Obviously, I kind of already mentioned maybe you move the Wilson stuff to the post-credit scene. Um, but my other thing is let's get some sort of tease to get that other kid some love and let's get some superpowers for all these children. Um, maybe it's not astral projecting. Maybe it's some other, you know speaking to the dead demon shit I, I i don't know what it may be but that's give the kids more superpowers i like that yeah leave uh the astral projection to uh iron man three kid give the other kid yeah like speaking to the dead or something or maybe he can control the dead or something i like that that's uh, that's creative um mine here is not very great <laughs> the one i pitched earlier i like a lot better but in this one i just want it's kind of show that the old lady is alive so it's going to be her, Specs, and the other guy all sitting. They're back in that room where the gas mask scene was at. And um, they are the gas mask is there too. But basically, they're just smoking out of it. Um, <laughs> they're just having a smoking circle. Kind of like a, that 70s show. Kind of a throwback to that too. So you can even do the camera thing where you, you keep turning it. And then once you get to the last seat, it's like the demon in the uh, the Darth Maul mask. So it's kind of like a gag post-credit scene yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah, more like fun than, than actually setting up a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a blooper reel. That's even better. That's yeah. If you're not going to do you know a, a serious post-credit scene, you should at least do that. Give something for the fans. True, true. Six Degrees of Dave. Nobody talks to my friends like that. I mean, there's a lot of different directions you can go with this. Obviously, Patrick Wilson, our star involved in the DCU, DCEU, um, James Gunn. You can kind of make those connections there. But uh, I went a little bit of a different route here. So Patrick Wilson was in the film Watchmen, Cody. Oh, really? <laughs> that is your background. And uh, he was in that with Matthew Good, who plays Osmandius in that movie. And he is in imi the Imitation Game okay. with Benedict Cumberbatch, mm -hmm. uh, who, of course, plays Doctor Strange in Infinity War with Dave Bautista. They even share some actual screen time as well. So you've got that at least added bonus of the, if I'm going to use Marvel, at least they're in scenes together. <laughs> <laughs> True. Fair enough. Went, went lazy, went the Marvel route. I see you. <laughs> I respect the Matthew Good. I, I did not know he was in uh, the Imitation Game. So that's that's a deep cut. I like that. Um, my six degrees, uh, Patrick Wilson. He is also in Watchmen. I don't know if you knew that, Corbin. <laughs> it's a good flick. Uh, if I do say so myself, and uh, after seeing the Snyder cut, it, I think uh, Watchmen is the best Zack Snyder film that I have seen. So I meant to you. ask you this on last podcast. Are you excited at all? Interested in the new Zack Snyder movie, Rebel Moon, coming to Netflix later this year? Uh, no. <laughs> you know, do you even know anything about it? <laughs> well, Zack Snyder's directing it, so I'm probably out. But um... My, I will give you a soft pitch here. Like, I'm not a Zack Snyder fan by any means, but it was allegedly like he had a pitch for a Star Wars movie. Star Wars didn't like it. Lucasfilm mm -hmm. didn't like it. They didn't want to make it. So then he's like, okay, I'm just going to make my own science fiction movie. And that's what this is. So 
I, I think that, you know it could be interesting to see what he does in a dark world sci-fi stuff. Uh, it's, yeah. it's got Jamin Hansu, and I think, Ooh, Your boy. Well, well, now I'm on board. Yeah, that's all I needed. But um, yeah, uh, Zack Snyder sci-fi. Uh, I'm down for that. It's got Ray Fisher. It's got, oh, it's got it has Cyborg in it, and yes, of course, uh, Charlie Hoonan and you know some some other people. <laughs> well, like Anthony Ray Hopkins, Fisher. apparently. Oh wow, maybe he's playing uh, King Arthur. Anyways, uh, oh yeah, you yeah, know Patrick Wilson, he's in Watchmen. We know that, of course. Uh, also in Watchmen, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Uh, I think he's really good in Watchmen, actually. And uh, he's also in a little flick that I've seen recently called uh, Batman v Superman, uh, which is not a great film. But also Ben Affleck is is in that clearly. And one of my favorite Ben Affleck movies is uh, Goodwill Hunting, of course. And uh, one of the underrated stars of Goodwill Hunting is is my boy Stellan Skarsgård, who of course share scenes directly with dave batista in dune part one shout out my boy denis villeneuve so i feel like stone Skarsgård is if you can uh, connect him in any way i mean that's just a clear path to the the batista man so i've been using that i think a lot recently but yeah i like that route you could have also done billy crudup in uh watchmen and he's also in the he's yeah. in justice league he's not in batman v superman i don't think right um, he obviously is the original version of the Flash's dad in prison before they recast him for this this new movie. And in the Snyder Cut, it, it's kind of weird going like uh, watching the Flash first and then going back to that because it's like, why are they why are they different actors? Obviously, it's like scheduling you know changes and stuff, but they should have kept Billy Crudup. Uh, he's okay in Watchmen too, I guess, but not the best. Recommendations are last. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> I drink it up! Thing, Cody, we did do a little back-to-back recording here, so I just wanted to talk Emmy novels that came out today. Oh. Um, so I don't know if you've had a chance to look at these at all, have you? I saw the main acting ones. Um, I saw Brian Cox got nominated, which was interesting, but... Yeah, we'll, we'll hit some highlights here. So, uh, Best Actor in a Drama Series, Jeff Bridges, The Old Man, Brian Cox, Succession, Karen Culkin, Succession... Bob Odenkirk, Better Call Saul, Pedro Pascal, The Last of Us, and Jeremy Strong, Succession. We've kind of had this conversation a little bit, but what do you think? Kieran or Jeremy Strong? Well, the thing is, I've been seeing a lot of people saying Pedro, but I think it's not his time. Mm. Bob Odenkirk? I mean, was this the last season of of Better Call Saul, right? I believe this is for the final Better Call Saul season. Yeah, so, I mean, it's tough because obviously it's the last season of Succession, too. I would lean uh, Jeremy Strong. Uh, I think he will win it, yeah. But Kieran Culkin is, is probably a little bit more deserving, I would think. Best Actress in a Drama Series, Sharon Horgan for Bad Sisters, Melanie Linsky, Yellow Jackets, Elizabeth Moss, The Handsmaid's Tale, Bella Ramsey, The Last of Us, Carrie Russell, The Diplomat, and Sarah Snook for Succession. I think Sarah Snook has that category pretty locked down. I would be pretty shocked if uh, she did not win that as well. I think this season specifically, too, she was uh, even better, I think, than like season three. So yeah, Sarah Snook is awesome. Comedy, the bear was well represented. However, it is all nominations for the first season of the bear because mm. this past season is going to be oh, in God. the next cycle of Emmy. So like all the guest performances and, you know, like we mentioned the last episode, Jamie Lee Curtis, maybe she will. It's hard to say if she'll get a nomination a year out from now, but like uh, it, it'll be a year <laughs> it'll be a year before you have to see that so <laughs> um they were nominated you know uh jeremy allen white was nominated for best actor in a comedy series ayo Biri was nominated for 
best supporting actress in a comedy series. But yeah, it's all season one stuff. Yeah, Jimmy Lee Curtis is <laughs> I think that's the shoe-in of all shoe-ins. If there's a sports book uh betting for uh you know Emmy winners, I would throw up my entire bank count on on she's winning that award. That unbelievable. Best comedy series. Here are the picks. Abbott Elementary, Barry, The Bear, Jury Duty, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, and Wednesday. That's actually a pretty stacked category, I think. Um, I mean, you could go any direction there. Maybe Ted Lasso, because it was the last season. Um, I don't know. That That's a toss in that. If I was a betting man on that one, I'd probably throw it on about five of those different ones. Uh, maybe not a jury, a court jury, jury duty, whatever. <laughs> jury. That's on NBC, I think, right? Who's watching that? Freebie. <laughs> but um, those are good shows, mostly. So that, that's a tough one. I, I might go Abbott Elementary there, but uh, The Bear has a decent shot. Ted Lasso season three, I, I don't think they're – I'm not hoping for any Emmy wins coming their way. <laughs> I'm surprised Sudeikis wasn't nominated, honestly. Or maybe he was. He was. He was. Bill Hader, Martin Short, Jason Siegel, Jason Sudeikis, Jeremy Allen White for Best Actor in a Comedy. Well, that'll probably go to the bear, to be fair. But um, I think only... I don't know. Bill Hader is also that final season of Barry. I don't know. People enjoyed that as well. I thought it was hated on, but fair enough. I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, that, I, I think that's most of the highlights. Did you have any uh, anything you wanted, any particular categories you wanted me to take a look at here? Uh, no, I think that that's definitely the gist of it. I will, I will mention one other thing for Rex, too. I did finish the Snyder Cut, like I said. I watched the last hour and a half. You know, it was all right. I did want to bring up kind of the epilogue stuff. Because obviously you get a little bit of Martian Manhunter, which is really random. And then uh, the Jared Leto scene, I thought it was terrible. And I looked at your letterbox review and you're like, oh, it was, it was a real battle of acting or something. And that's like, what we're talking about. So I, I just want to your thoughts on that scene. Uh, big Leto guy in, uh, in the Snyder Cut? Yeah, huge fan, man. I think that's some uh, really impressive stuff that they they came in and shot over Zoom. Uh, let me let me pull up this particular review. I, <laughs> well, the... I think it's it's interesting, interestingly written. Excuse me, because um, obviously you have like Batman dropping f bomb, which is pretty dope, and Ben Affleck is very much into it. And like from a comic book standpoint, it's pretty interesting too. Because I mean, the Joker's just straight up taunting him, being like. You shouldn't have sent, uh, you know, Robin to do, um, you shouldn't, shouldn't have sent a boy to do a man's job. Like, there's some good quotes in there. And also, it's like the weird flash forward thing where, for some reason, Jared Leto's Joker is hanging out with this crew that has survived the apocalypse. But I looked into it a little bit more. And, and basically, it's just because Zack Snyder realized this, this was the last time he was ever going to work on, you know, DC films. And he always wanted to do a scene between like Joker and Batman. So he kind of just threw it in at the end. And obviously COVID and green screen, he can do whatever he wants, really. So it's interesting kind of how it was made and, and how it was written. But I just do not like Jared Leto as the Joker. So I was I was not a massive fan of of his. His, his laugh just pisses me off, too, just in general. So. I think it's like one of his only effective performances as the Joker ever. So like, I, I, I mean, shout out to Zack Snyder for pulling that off. <laughs> He's only done it like what two and a half times? He's in Suicide Squad. Yeah, that was probably two and a half times too many. But <laughs> I don't know. I I think it, I think it's Ben Affleck finally figuring things out. We saw some of that in the Flash as well, and uh, Jared Leto figuring things out. But I mean, that movie fucking sucks. The slow motion's too much. The it's incoherent. It's overly long. Um, have you done like the research of like what Zack Snyder's vision for? the his movies his trilogy or whatever would have been and like how this would have been the first part of it 
Um, yeah. Have you looked into any of that at all? A little bit, yeah. Dark Side was coming to Earth basically to find. It was yeah. essentially Infinity War in, in Endgame, is what he was gonna like play out. So yeah, which I mean, you know, fair enough to him. That is a a good storyline. Um, but you know, kind of overplayed at this point, I'd say. Well, thank you guys for listening. We got spooky in this episode, and uh, we'll try and have something a little bit more lighthearted for the next one. Spooky in the summer. Yeah, definitely stay around uh, and stay capping. Peace. Peace. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.